Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This show is all about commercial property investing for the private investor. Whether you're just getting started or scaling up your portfolio, through interviews, tips and lessons learned along the way, we want to give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor podcast. We recently recorded an awesome podcast about valuations with a super knowledgeable severe Ryan Stevens. But there is another side to Ryan. He's also a commercial property investor. So we're not talking about the dark side today of valuation, but we're moving into the light. Right, Ryan? Welcome back. Thank you very much for having me back. It's great to have you. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to hearing of your story, how you got into industrial and what you've been doing in the commercial market. Because I think from our listeners' point of view, it's always so super important to listen to people that are investing. But those that also have a foot in the professional camp really gives great insight from both sides of the the dark side and the light side, right? (laughs) It depends which one's the dark side, though, you know, the the, the honest surveying work or or the the nasty landlord side. That's right. Well, it's all about perspective, right? (laughs) So maybe we should do a bit of context, just run through maybe a little bit about your property journey so far. And I believe you maybe started off resi. Maybe you could just talk through some of those experiences so far, Ryan, just to give people an idea of what you're up to. Yeah, so a uh, so very quick pricey of, of my life, as it were, um, post-18. So I went to university, studied uh, effectively property, uh, yeah. did a surveying degree 2004 through 2008, um, graduated, got a job with Heineken, uh, got made redundant because the global recession was happening. Um, and then anyway, Top and bottom, it became a chartered surveyor in 2010 um, in October, and almost to, to within a few weeks of that, bought my first uh, residential investment property. Um, so that was just a straight up two up two down mid terraced house uh, for forty three thousand pounds in uh, in sunny Doncaster. And then six months later, went and bought a three bed end terraced on the same street uh, for, for, for thirty seven thousand pounds. So you. Right. <laughs> um, so we thought we, we then thought we'd been screwed over on the first one because yeah. that was only two. That was only two bedrooms. Um, so we, we overpaid for the first property. Uh, so being a chart survey doesn't, doesn't tell you everything. Um, yeah. Anyway, jokes aside. So that that was you know back in October two thousand and ten. Moving forward, um, and then over the course of a few years, you know, bought more more and more resi properties. Then started buying uh, properties to turn them into HMOs. That was around two thousand and thirteen ish. Um, did a few more, more and more HMOs. Um, and then in 2018, uh, got the opportunity, uh, this was August 18, I got the, the opportunity to buy a quasi off market industrial estate in Sheffield. Um, and then basically it's just stuck to industrial from there. Uh, we'll maybe talk about the. I think we're going to talk maybe possibly about the off-market stuff later. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, this, this was uh, it wasn't it wasn't absolutely off-market. You know, um, there, was, there were some particulars drawn up. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm assuming, but there was probably some particulars drawn up, but they weren't out there readily for everybody. They were being sent exactly. around there the surveying bodies. It wasn't on right move. wasn't There wasn't a board on the front of the, of the building. It was put out to a, a, a list of people who uh, the agents knew yes. wouldn't would would wouldn't could complete. Uh, on the property without too much of a fuss. Um, but one of those was you. It was indeed, fortuitously. Um, it was a bit of a dog's dinner. Uh, and then, you know, went and bought another another property that we sort of completely knocked back to brick. The most recent acquisition was a, a sort of fairly nice investment, uh, uh, pretty much an asset, manage- asset management job only. Right. Okay. Um, so no real work. And then we bought that in October through Allsop's auction. Nice. Um, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about that one as well. So one... One was the dog's dinner and need a lot sorting out. Another yep. one was back to brick. And then another one is more asset management. That's great. So maybe we, yep. we, we'll talk about each of those, right? So it's interesting you're talking about deal 
and where they came from. So, so one came kind of under the market between agents. The one that was the back to brick, where did, how did that come to you? That was straight up on the market. Oh, nice. Okay. Right move. Advertised with Knight Frank. You know, one, uh, not, not the. I don't think they're the biggest, but certainly one of the biggest yeah, are, yeah. commercial yeah. agents in the world. Um, certainly in, in the UK. Um, you know, so just a big, you know, it'd been on the market for six months. Nobody had touched it. Everybody could see it. Yeah. Yeah. Quite frankly, uh, you know, and I have told the agent this. So if, 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 if he happens to be listening to this, <laughs> it'll, it'll not come as a shock. Uh, but it was badly advertised. Right. It was just badly advertised. There were three photos. Um, it was a real mess um, inside the property. The, the, you know, the, the, the former, it was an owner occupier. Uh, it was a shed factory and there were nigh on a thousand sheds in there. And quite oh, frankly, right. I mean, the, 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 there's a massive story behind, behind this. I'll not bore everyone with it, but literally like with a, with a week to go, we thought we were going to end up with a thousand sheds. <laughs> um, they had made no attempt whatsoever to clear this place out. Yeah. And we, we were, I was ringing people, I was ringing people saying, do you want a shed? Yeah. How do I get, <laughs> how do I get rid of these? How, how do I literally get rid of a thousand sheds? Because, you know, sort of two days after completion, We've got lads turning up wanting to do the electrics, and we've got then three days after that we've got the builders turning. Up. So that was a whole thing. But anyway, sort of uh, that, that's a you know that, that's probably a conversation. So this one, so this one was on Night Frank, and 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 you've covered maybe why partly the reason why it didn't sell. Um, yeah, the agent but was maybe not no no floor plans, you know, poorly advertised, and and probably. From the agent's point of view, I think he, he sort of probably came to realise afterwards the ability and an appetite for these small little tiddly industrial units from an occupier's point of view and from a tenant's perspective. I think because he'd worked, you know, he'd, he'd done his placement year in Night Frank and then been, you know, gone on to be a graduate surveyor and what yeah. have you. His head was up here. Mm-hmm. It was up in the clouds. Basically, anything below half a million square foot is peanuts. Yes, and, you know, yeah. and who on earth would want to deal with that because that's just too below me. Yes. And there are people who want 500 square foot you know, I mean, th- th- this was 20,000 square foot that we cut into 17 unit. Right. Listen, we've already started talking about this. So let's just dive into this one. We'll come to the third one okay. and the first <laughs> one. Right. I just because I've got questions here. So 17 units. That's a great strategy. I've done that myself, taking a warehouse and splitting it down. Did you end up doing completely separate units or did you have communal services? How, how did you actually do that division? So they are completely independent. Mm-hmm. Um, own toilets, own electric supply. Well, no. So we've got one massive electric supply. So we, we uh, as part of the, the upgrade, we had to pay Northern Power Grid uh, a substantial amount of money. I imagine to do uh, yeah, yeah, one thing for your listeners, never, ever underestimate how much utility companies are willing to charge. Yes. Um, uh, and by the way, just a little tidbit, you don't have to go with people like Northern Power Grid uh, or your, you know whatever your local yes. utilities company is. Uh, there are there is an, an an official Lloyd's of London approved registered contractors list that you can approach. That, that's a national thing. And funnily enough, we actually got a firm from Sheffield uh, who were on this Lloyd's of London approved list. They can do everything that the, the official company can, barring a few things. So basically, the, we, we ended up paying about 10 grand less. Um, we ended up paying Northern Power Grid 400 quid to do the, the stuff that they that they legally have to do. Yes, yes. But notwithstanding that, we, we paid this other company, you know, a lot less than Northern Power yeah. Grid would, would, would quote. One electric, electric yeah. supply into the building and then everything else is submetered. Okay, off that. Uh, we have uh, we've, it's metermanager.co.uk, a uh, great little firm, um, and it's all uh, done by SIM card. Okay. Um, so in reality, we wish we'd have put prepayment meters in. That's the only thing, again, just for your listeners. Yeah, because if somebody really does go, you are technically on the hook because it's coming through your main supply. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, we do make a little bit of profit mm-hmm. on, that, on that each month, you know, just, just to be honest about it. Uh, but you can do it in, in commercial space. With residential, you can't, obviously. There's no law prohibiting that. What's your, um, I, I've noticed on the electric recently where the, the price changes. So we had one we had to review. And the standing charge gone from like 30 odd pence to six pounds a day. I mean, it's nuts mm. how those things have changed. And, and it's something I think to be aware of. If you're looking at some big industrial buildings with big meters, mm. there could be quite a big ongoing standing charge. Indeed. So at the first property we bought in, in August 18, that's actually got a substation on site. Wow. Yeah. Um, and we've just gone uh, a couple of months ago, gone through the process of, of being, you know, coming out of contract. 
uh, from a, a from fifteen pence a kilowatt, and like I can't remember exactly what the date, what the standing charge was. It was low compared to what we're paying now. We're, we're paying sort of thirty five pence a kilowatt. That, that's because the supply. It's all based on the supply to it the is, site, yeah. uh, and the supply to that because its substation is astrum. It's massive. massive. Uh, it's 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 actually one megawatt. Wow. Uh, the supply to that site it's it's way too much it's, it's yeah. way too much but we can't have it turned down unfortunately it's just yeah. not possible right okay so these guys are on submeters toilets yeah. um so there we, we had a toilet block built yeah. uh, because at the back of the site it, it would have been m- prohibitively expensive to put toilets and you know putting water into the into the unit is a you know dead yeah, easy totally, yeah. getting the foul away is just a it, it would have cost tens of thousands of pounds yeah. Uh, to get the correct falls on the levels and everything, and, and then, but as soon as you start digging down below a certain level, you have to start going into like civils grade, and that just costs ten times as much. Yeah. Uh, once you once you start going to, into the civil engineering quality and quantity. Yeah. So we had a toilet block built, and then the units at the front um, and and side of the estate, we didn't actually put the toilets in when we dug it all up on you know for the tarmac and what have you at the side. Uh, we put drains in and stubs into the right. unit so if the tenant wanted wanted they could put their own toilet yeah. in okay uh, but we do have for example one occupier to have took two units carpet storage they do not want a toilet in no, there they don't need it, it. It, yeah. it would just take space up so that, that's why we put the option in there for, for all all the occupiers most have gone to the trouble of putting it in but not all for for obvious reasons yeah so that, i mean that's great because that, that that kind of cmo model means that you don't have to go and put all toilets in. I think some people expect they do, and you don't have to put another meter in. Sometimes it's prudent to do so, but the cost can be quite prohibitive, like you say. And I'm assuming that the t- common toilet area, the landscape and everything else, goes out in a service charge on top of... Uh, no, we don't actually run a service charge you don't? On, okay. on, on this particular site, no. Because we're aiming at small occupiers, it's a, it, we charge a fairly you know, heavy, heavy rent. Yeah. But that I'm includes sorry, now. But, admittedly, yeah. there's no landscaping. Uh, we pay a caretaker two hundred pounds a month, uh, and he goes once a week and tops tops the toilet rolls up, gives it a quick rinse, you know, wash down and what have you, tests the fire alarm, all that sort of stuff, uh, and it charges effectively fifty quid a visit. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Okay, but um, that that comes out of our pocket effectively. Um, yeah. So, so there's 17 units. What do you say the overall size was, Ryan? What's the tip? Well, uh, 20,000 20, 20, square foot. Right. Okay. So they're between a thousand and fifteen hundred square foot, or have you got various? Oh yeah, no, no. So, so a good number of them are five hundred square foot. Oh wow. Okay. So just just bigger than a bigger than a garage, yeah. erring towards a double garage side, mm-hmm. and they are you know basically four hundred pound a month. Yeah. Broadly speaking, between four and four fifty pound a month. And and as a as an occupier, they are like hen's teeth. Yeah. yeah, anything like that. It's yeah. really difficult. Anything sub 5,000 square foot anywhere in the country, I think, is difficult to get. Yeah, so they're, they're the smaller ones. Then we've got some at 750, um, and then the biggest, the, the, we've got a couple at just over 2,000 square foot. Right, excellent. Okay, thanks for that quick dive into that one. So the third project you spoke about has been more about asset management. What's the kind of size of that one? That, weirdly, again, is 20,000 square right. foot. Right, magic number. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so this is the one we bought through all SOPs. Yes. Um, it was a little bit of a faff around um, to buy it because it, it's actually a long leasehold property, so it's not freehold. Okay. Okay. Um, so when we bought it, there were 88 years left on the lease. Um, the freeholder was painful to deal with. So we bought this in October. Uh, last week, we, we finished the process of extending the lease mm. um, from 80, what, what, you know, what was remaining of 88 years um, back up to 125, which was the original lease length. So that's 20,000 square foot. It's four units. Um, so five, five, well, it's actually four fives, but then we've only got three tenants because we've got, uh, cash and carry, um, Euro car parts, um, uh, they're taking five a piece and then a, a, a regional bakery, uh, over to t- 10,000. Why did that go to auction? It was basically because of the freeholder. Uh, so the lease, the, the, okay. the long leaseholder, the guy who owned it before us, uh, he bought the land uh, on a long leasehold originally from Rotherham council. Mm-hmm. Um, it had then been sold and sold and sold. Um, and anyway, the, the free, the, basically the freeholder had, had kiboshed a number of, um, private treaty sales before. So first of all, the, the, the cash and carry, the, the, the tenants in the cash and carry tried to buy it. Um, and the freeholder just didn't like them. Basically he said that they weren't secure enough 
Right. Effectively. Then they tried to sell it to, to another party, via, again, via private treaty. Couldn't because the freeholder kiboshed that. Um, and so basically the, the, the guy was left with having to sell it in auction. And, and ultimately, at that point, obviously, once the hammer came down, we, we'd legally committed to it. And so the freeholders had to accept us. Yeah. But nonetheless, it took three months to get there. Um, yep. And quite frankly, the actual vendor was really happy with us. Um, you know, it was like, oh, you guys are brilliant. You know, you, you're providing all the information the freeholder wants. Is uh, you know, uh, so they wish they had known about you guys before. Um, but they, they were, uh, you know, again, just word of caution to your listeners is, is if you ever come across a, a property that's long leasehold, just be cautious uh, about who who the freeholder is, because they were they were awful to deal with. Yeah. Well, you've managed to get there, though. You've managed to get there. So, yeah. So, is that property fully let? Was it fully let at the time? Yes. So, like I say, it, it's twenty thousand square foot, five, five, and ten, yeah. um, fully rented out. So, Euro Car Parts were on a ten-year lease from twenty twelve. So that was the second. That was, right. that was unit two. Okay. Um, the other three units, effectively, the other two occupiers uh, were on ten-year leases from two thousand and seventeen. Okay. So okay. the car parts, have you had the conversations? Yeah. Uh, so there was also, uh, which we, we actually found out after the fact, after we bought it, there was an outstanding rent review from Euro Car Parts in 2017. So the first thing we did was actually do a backdated rent. Uh, so we managed to get just shy of 20 grand out of Euro Car Parts for, for backdated rent, which was wow. quite nice. Yes. Um, and yes, they, they want to stay. Uh, funnily enough, they are actually going through the process of um, paying for a new roof themselves completely off their own bat. Uh, so removing the old asbestos roof that, that is over there, part of the unit, uh, and putting a new insulated, you know, jobby on, uh, yeah. which is, which is that, that's 40 grand. And they're just paying for that themselves, you know. That's, that's amazing. So basically what we're talking about here is asset management. You've bought a building, it's got occupants in it. There is some lease work to do. Yeah, if, exactly. So as you've just started to hint at, um, we have already started the process with Euro Car Parts. So we served the Section 25 notice. Um, so that's Section 25 of the Landlord and Tenant Act yeah. for those of us south of the uh, south of south of the wall, um, <laughs> as it were. Um, yeah. I appreciate you guys in Scotland have got a slightly different uh, system, yeah. but yes, yeah, so a friendly Section 25 notice. Um, where we effectively say we want to offer you a new lease. Yeah. It's mandatory to do it. Yes, exactly. So, um, And then we've done the bakery review and we're just about to complete the cash and carry rent review. Right, okay. Uh, and when you've done these, because obviously you now, maybe we should just back up for a second. Ryan, you're doing this with two, two partners, is that right? Yes. Yes. And are they also um, professionals in the industry? No. Right. Okay. No, but one, one of them is a, is a builder stroke accountant. He, he trains as an accountant, but then ran a building firm. Right, okay. Uh, and the, the other is a um, he's, he's got a doctor in uh, microchemistry. Wow. Okay. Or, uh, nice. Sorry, molecular molecular chemistry. Nice so combination. He's got a PhD in molecular chemistry. <laughs> so when you're doing this lease work, how much are you being involved, or are you giving that to somebody but, else? To all do of it. <laughs> it's my job. Yes. Um, uh, I have joked that I should put an invoice in um, <laughs> to, to my own company, um, but no, it's me doing it. Quite frankly, uh, it, yeah. it has fallen to me. Um, if I weren't involved, uh, it would be probably quite necessary to to include a um, uh, another surveyor. Yeah, um, it's, because it's, the, the the tenants have had representation. You see, um, it's not. From, an, it, it's a tricky process. But ultimately, there is a process there that's set out and a way to do it. And did you have to get a commercial valuation to say what the market rate is right now? Or were you able to agree that between yourselves without having to point somebody to do that? In commercial leases, the, the rent review mechanism is that the landlord and the tenant, or indeed the landlord's representative and the tenant's representative, first of all, have a conversation yes. and, and, and try and agree the rent themselves based on the comparables in the local area. Yeah. Um, so I, obviously, as, as landlord uh, in this particular instance, because you know, whilst being a surveyor, you know, I'm, I'm the landlord in this particular case, uh, I spoke to the tenant's representative, the surveyor who they appointed, um, and we battered back and forth about very, the, the pluses and negatives of, of the subject property and indeed the pluses and negatives of all the comparables yes. uh, in obviously in, in, in down to the minutiae. Um, and then top and bottom of it, you come to a horse deal. Yes. It, it's never perfect. Um, the backstop is always you either go to arbitration uh, or independent expert. Okay, that's brilliant. Right, so we've talked about asset management. So this is basically buying 
some already income producing asset, which may, although I'm sure you've got a good price on it, but it may be at standard kind of market rate, but you recognize that underlying there are opportunities to do some asset management through lease work to actually increase the yield and therefore potentially the value. Yeah, yeah. well, to decrease the yield more specifically. Sorry, yes, sorry, yes, yes. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, um, there, there were a few, A, increasing the rent with the rent reviews. Uh, yeah. It was the, uh, the first thing to do. Again, whilst this was advertised through all SOPs, um, I don't believe it was very well advertised, to put it bluntly. You know, I think the, I sort of half know-ish the, the, the kid who works at all SOPs. I don't ever think he's been outside the M25. Right. You know, it, again, he probably just thought, oh, Rotherham, meh, rubbish, crap, you know. That's you know, that's not that's never going to rent for any more money. Three quid a square foot, yeah. You know, I'll put I'll put eight percent on that. That'll do. Um, whereas in reality, we've got between six pound and six pound seventy five a square foot. What was it when you got it? What was the rents level? Um, it was producing sixty four sixty. I think it was sixty four five hundred. I think. Yeah. Um, and then you have to minus the the because there's a fairly hefty ground rent. You see that that right. that caused okay. the problems with the freeholder. But yep. you, there's a there's a twenty five grand ground rent to pay. So it's sixty four grand down to four, down to forty or just yep. shy of forty. Okay. Um, and, and we once we've finished, we're expecting it to be hundred hundred twenty eight. Wow. Minus uh, minus thirty now because we, we've we've had to pay an increased ground. So just rate. under hundred, so more than double the income. Uh, yes. And where are you expecting the value to go to? Once we've renewed the lease to Euro Car Parts, who are, who are obviously our, our sort of golden, you know, the, the yeah. jewel in the crown, if you will. I don't mean you don't have to give me the exact figure. What I mean is compared with where it was, because we've more than doubled the rent, the net yeah. rent. Does that mean we've more than doubled the net value, or yes, yeah, yeah? We we pay. I don't. I don't mind saying. Uh, you know, because it's. I mean, it's, everything's available through land registry. So, you know, um, yeah. we paid four fifty for it. Mm-hmm. We are very conservatively expecting it to be to be valued at one point two million. Yeah, uh, in in reasonable terms, you know, if you, if it, that's a, a, I think it's about eight percent yield. Um, yep. okay. In reality, there are other other properties selling for six percent in, yes, in the yeah. yeah. uh, and so that that brings it up to sort of one point four, one point five. That's that's fantastic. And just out of interest, are you? Is that your strategy, or are you going to hold on to it? We are, are intending to hold, we're intending to hold on to it. You know, the, the like I said, there's me and two pals. We are all sort of very income driven. Me, me and Dave, the the, mic, the microchemist, we we've but we're sort of both late latish thirties, both got kids, and so therefore you know that's that's our driving factor. Uh, Richard's a little bit older, uh, doesn't have kids. Uh, he, he's sort of in his early fifties, uh, doesn't have kids, not not going to have them. Um, but him and his partner, you know, are are very income driven because they like a, a certain lifestyle. It's a great it's a great choice then these these sorts of assets. And let let's run back to the first one. Yes, because that's a different type of proposition, right? That so was, that, that was a very different. Yeah, that was a that, that was two. Years. So basically, we bought that in 2018. Um, d- sorry, do you want me to just sort of tell the stories? Yeah, you know? yeah, we can. I mean, just to summarize the asset management one, the last one. I mean, for for listeners, obviously, that's one you could potentially employ some professionals in the market to basically do that work for you, that asset management for you on your. Oh gosh, your yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, you and, know, you you would pay um, a sort of a, a decent fee. Uh, yep. For a surveyor, but you know, I, I do. I on a, on a professional level, I do do rent reviews and, and lease yep. renewals and what have you. And you know, uh, it's sometimes it's a bit of a long slog, but you know, you get there eventually. But we technically could just completely hands off. Um, we, we do have a managing agent on site. Um, yep. The thing is, again, I, I'm at a slight advantage, I suppose, in that I, I really know the market. But you know, I'm, I'm on the RICS president's panel for arbitrations for commercial rent disputes. Yep. So I feel I've got a slight advantage <laughs> to, you know, um, so it's obviously in, in my negotiation. Inherent, in, yes. Yeah, it, it's in my inherent interest to, to get the best I can. You don't have to be a chartered arbitrator and a, and a chartered surveyor to do this. If, if you want to, if you just go and have a chat with your yeah. bloody tenants, yeah. putting it frankly, you know, uh, and if you can, if you can come to, again, it's, it's always a horse deal at the end of it. I make no bones about it. It's always a fudge. So if you can come to a compromise that works for both of you, then happy days. Yes. Uh, you know, you don't have to go and start paying surveyors, you know, X thousand pounds to do the yeah. job. Okay, so that that's that's one type of strategy, which is it's excellent to cover that. So let's go back to the slightly more the blood and the, <laughs> the yeah. guts on the first one. So yeah. just talk us through that one, right? 
So, um, like I say, quasi off market, we were approached by a firm of surveyors uh, who knew that we were in the market for for something industrial, something a bit dirty, you know, a bit heavy going. So this is 35,000 square foot. Right. It's 48 units. Um, it's a listed building. It's an old uh, Victorian steel mill in Sheffield. Mm-hmm. Real hodgepodge. Uh, you know, anything units from 120 odd square foot up to three and a half thousand. Yeah. So absolute mishmash of all sorts of stuff. Um, when we bought it, it was uh, it was part rented. Um, so it was producing about 70 grand a year in rent. Yeah. Um, we paid 460 for that one. Okay. Um, plus VAT, which that's again a whole other, there was a whole other thing with with VAT. So again, just uh, transfer of a going concern is is mm. something your your listeners definitely need to look into, and yeah. whether it whether it meets the HMRC definition, uh, this one didn't. Oh, um, interesting. And it, Even though it was and, and indeed after after we bought it, we 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 tried to reclaim the ninety grand in VAT. Yeah. Uh, literally, like a couple of days after we we bought it, because that was the end of our VAT quarter, we did we did that immediately. Got to get a phone call from from uh, an investigating officer at HMRC. Can you just explain to me, Mr. Stevens, why uh, why this wasn't you know why you didn't just do this as a transfer of a going concern? And you have to explain. Look, you know the vendors' accountants were Deloitte. Well, adamant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not just that, but yeah, the vendors' accountants were Deloitte. Uh, the vendors' solicitors were. One one of the magic you know one of the magic circle law firms. Our solicitors were these guys who are fairly well known in in, in South Yorkshire. Our accountants are a big uh, not big but you know sort of a medium sized accountancy practice in South Yorkshire. All four of us agreed that it wasn't didn't meet your definition of a transfer of a going concern. Um, oh right, okay. So I'll uh, I'll just make a quick phone call and uh, we'll process this refund for you. Um, so yeah, uh, just. It's it's frustrating when things like yes. that happen. But anyway, again, whole of the conversation. Um, whoever said investing was easy. Um, so we bought it. It was part income producing. Um, basically, it had been left to rack and ruin effectively by the by not only the people we bought it off who'd owned it for about fifteen or fifteen or seventeen years, but also the person who'd owned it prior to them for about ten years. The absolute bare minimum in terms of effectively just making sure the place didn't burn down that's that's the, they're the only repairs that had been done um you know the roofs were leaking the electrics had been put in by jesus you know it was just <laughs> awful um the real dog's dinner um and so there were units that one of the units for example had been rented out by a, a builder who hadn't paid his rent to the previous owners but had been doing building work and charging his clients to remove rubbish. Oh, dear. You know where this is going, don't you? Yeah, I do, yeah. Wasn't paying for, to have the rubbish taken to a, a proper commercial tip where he'd have had to pay for it by weight. Yep. Um, it was just dumping it in the, in the unit that he wasn't paying for. So that is a uh, 13, 1400 square foot unit uh, that's it's got six meter eaves oh, and it was full yeah. to the brim of builder's rubbish. Oh. Uh, that that was eight skips, just yep. just just to empty the unit. Eight skips, um, yeah. Manpower, but yeah, yeah, okay. So that that's what we inherited. So the, the one that I talked about first, which was the second deal, yeah. Um, we we did that fairly sort of quick. That was a quick seven months blast. This one actually took us two years, and we did it a bit more steady. That this is yes. the first one. Um, so what we did is effectively is we, we put a bit of our own money in at, f- at first, but then we used the profit rent over and above what we got, you know, after having paid the mortgage and what have you, we used the profit rent to pay for the renovations. Yeah. Um, and you know, over time we upgraded so all the elect- upgraded all the electrics. We we put a new car park in. Um, you know, painted the whole place. Uh, just yeah, d- just renovating each unit piecemeal basically um, until we've renovated. Sort of seventy percent of the site now. Um, how many units was that one, Ryan? Uh, Forty-eight. Forty-eight. Is that how many it started as? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's a good number. Yeah. Okay. So you've used um, cash flow effectively to to do the renovations. Yes. And when there was um, the seventy k income, what was the sort of the vacancy rate at that point? Oh. 80 percent oh, really? 70 75 percent it was it was there was hardly anyone there yeah okay um 
Um, so over over that time, two years, which to me is actually quite quick. Yeah, I I, I seem to take longer than that. <laughs> but um, what's the occupancy like now? Oh, 100%. Oh, fantastic. Great. Yeah. Um, um, so so the, the rent roll now is 230 grand. Yeah, okay. Brilliant. 100% occupied. Do you think, uh, are you still doing, or have you moved into more of an asset management phase now with those, because occupancy is 100% and there's opportunities? Um, I'll be honest, we've we sort of took our hands off a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, um, I've got a little office down there, um, you know, sort of uh, a teeny, basically where we keep all our tools and odds and sods yes. and what have you. Uh, and it's basically where, I, where I, I'll, I'll go there once or twice a week to basically when my wife's working at home or she's got the day off or what have you, so I don't have to do the washing up, um, I'll go and escape down there. But broadly, broadly speaking, we don't, we don't go down there very often. Obviously, there's the ongoing thing of making sure tenants are paying the rent. And again, we have it managed, but we have a little bit more of a hands-on relationship with, with the tenants. You know, yeah. sometimes, sometimes there, yeah. I'll call the tenants or drop them a text and say, look, you know, you're a bit behind on your rent. Is there anything, any problems? Um, tenants coming and going, you know, because we have a lot of people doing car storage down there. Um, mm. And so, you know, I've got a tenant moving out next week, come to the end of his lease, and he's actually selling his, his um, vintage cars. He's bought a, 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 an RV. A, um, RV, yeah. Yeah, he's bought an RV. So him and his, him and his wife now want to, they've sold the vintage cars and they want to go and travel Europe. So he's moving out. So, uh, you know, a couple of text messages to some of the existing tenants and, you know, I'm, I've got someone doing a back-to-back lease. Yes. Um, so what, one, of, one of the other existing tenants has got a pal who wants some space to, to store cars. Um, Interesting. And Ryan, you used the word lease. What, what's your contract? What's the standard uh, contract you're using in there? Yeah, so we, we use three-year leases mm-hmm. um, with 18-month break clauses. Yeah, okay. Uh, in, internal repairing only. Um, so much in the same as the, the other the other one that we've turned into small units. Um, obviously, the, the one with four units that they are straight up FRI leases with yes. a service check that, that that does have a serve a proper service charge in place. It's horses for courses, Jerry. Sure. You know, if we started saying to people, look, you've got to pay your rent. Uh, the, the first property is VAT elected as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the one the one with forty eight units. That, so you've got your rent plus VAT plus a service charge plus insurance. You know, oh God, we, we won't get any tenant. Yeah, you know, and if we then start saying it's a ten-year lease, yeah, we, we, we won't. We, we would be hundred percent. We'd be hundred percent vacant. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's a three-year internal repairing only lease. So we pay for the insurance. Um. And there's an eighteen-month break clause, and even then, we're actually very flexible. So sometimes we get people who need or want to leave early, and we just say that's fine. Just well, we'll re-advertise the unit as soon as someone comes along. We'll back to back it. Yes. Again, yes. so so they're, so they're still technically covering the time up to somebody else moving in, but the back to back basically mean they move out on Friday and the next tenant moves in Friday. Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we do it all very officially. You know, we, we'll literally we'll all congregate in in our little office. We'll get the the outgoing tenant to sign a deed of surrender. Um, yep. And the incoming tenant to sign a, to sign the lease. Yes, yep. and that and that's it. And that that formalizes everything. Um, you know, by this point, the incoming tenant has already given us their rent. They've already given us their deposit. Um, you know, so we're, we're covered for, covered from a monetary point of view. Um, and yeah, we're just back to back it. And then we just ask the outgoing tenant to pay for the agency fees. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that just in terms of service charge for that first one. Um, is there so, a separate electric meter? Uh, yeah, so it? they're all submetered. Um, yeah. That that one, because of historic, you know, for, for legacy reasons, and um, that one, we've got the caretaker there. Uh, he goes, he actually goes round every month and does the meter readings. Okay. Um, we, we, we've not uh, for some, I don't know why, but we never bothered putting automated SIM, you know, SIM card readers yeah. in, which I recommend that everyone does. Uh, but yeah, so it's again, there's a big substation on site. Again, we pay for the head incoming electric uh, and then it's just all submetered further to that the only thing we, we charge by way of a, a quote service charge there um to be fair is a security fee um okay. so a couple of years well was it a couple of years ago about 18 months ago we had a bit of a problem with a few a few break-ins um 
and there is a, a local firm. They, they do one of these sort of deals where they, they will provide all the CCTV free of charge. Mm-hmm. And then you pay a monthly fee. But as well as that, it's a rapid response manned. So if there's any problems, it pops up on the, they've got little in-car screens. Yeah. Problem, you know, problem down at the works. A few lads in a Ford Focus will turn up and deal with the situation, shall we say. (laughs) Do you know if they've had many call-outs? No. Uh, no, They put signs up and these guys are are fairly well known for again dealing with the situation <laughs> um the, the, the cctv funnily enough just gets turned off um <laughs> when they turn up <laughs> for 10 minutes uh, and then turn turns back on and as if nothing happened and um, cleared away yeah okay yeah exactly uh, so these these guys have got a bit of a reputation um and that's why we, we were recommend they were recommended to us from, yeah. um, fantastic right that's been really interesting to talk about those those deals they, they've all been industrial is is there Anything that would tempt you into office, or do you feel you've got your furrow and that's where you're going to stick to? Yeah, no, I, I like what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, uh, industrial. There's, as you said, there's, there's just a, such a massive pent up demand, uh, and especially at the smaller end of the market. The thing I like about industrial is, you know, I joke about this to pals who are not necessarily in the industry. I, I just give people white cubes. Yeah. I don't have to think about what worktop is is in fashion this year, or what colour scheme, you know, is it is it anthracite grey, or is it you know sort of a sort of you know navy grey, or what? Yeah. You know, it, what colour? It's white. It's, it's white. That's it. That's the only. It's like the old Ford, you know, Ford Model T thing, isn't it? What colour you're having? Black. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just give people white cubes, and it's easy. Uh, and there's such a pent up demand that I don't feel I should need to, as it were, move away from that. Okay, so just on that then, do you feel that market is going to slow down anytime soon? Or do oh. you think that demand's going to continue? And I know that's a little bit of crystal ball and yeah. it's more specifically industrial though, because there's obviously been a few changes in the world, mm. demographics that have, that have led to this strong demand for industrial, but also just many years of underinvestment in that, in that sector. Mm. Um, a new build is really expensive. So it's just, it, there's there's kind of the perfect storm there of, yeah. of that market. It's just how long you think that might last. Oh, yeah, I mean, obviously, what, what's happened historically is that values weren't high enough to justify building. Yeah. And even though the values are now high, build costs have now shot up. That's right. So it, it's That's still right. catching up. Still, yeah, yeah. So un- unless you are building the absolute monolith, you know, distribution hubs that are next to a big, massive motorway, you know, sort of the three, four, five hundred thousand square foot behemoths yeah. that only pension funds can possibly afford to invest in. Um, you know, the the values still aren't there um, to, to to catch up to, to build costs. The project we bought recently, we, there is a little bit of land at the side as well that we are building on, but that's because it's free and the land, you know, the land came with, with the project. Yes. Um, and so we can afford to put a, we're putting two and a half thousand square foot there. Will um, where where will, will things? I'm obviously it depends if we. Well, I say if when when we have the, the next recession, whether it's in sort of six, twelve, eighteen months time or what have you, um, it depends how deep that is. I think um, you know will it will it will it effectively crystallize and solidify things further in in terms of people moving away from from traditional retail spaces. Um, you know, because a good number of our occupiers at the first site are uh, dark kitchens. Right. Interesting. Okay. So, you, you know, we've, we've now got five, I think we have five dark kitchens on site. Gee. Um, and, and so are things, are things just going to, you know, going to further go down that way? And obviously the high street's going to be more, more decimated in, in, in the next recession. Who knows? Um, yeah, consumer habits have, have, what do they say? It takes 90 days to change a habit. Well, habits have had a lot longer to change, haven't they? So mm. um, it could be that, yeah, things will continue as they are. Um, I, I wanted to just quickly touch on the off-market stuff. So just putting back on your valuer's hat for a second, how many, and, and I'm not going to hold you to any specific percentage, but it would be good if you could just give us a guide. How many of the valuations do you do, do you think of off-market deals? 
that's transactions rather than just a revaluation. Oh, um, I don't know. I, I was actually asked to quote on quote on on a job for secured lending uh, a couple of days ago. Might have even been a day or two ago. Yeah, um, and that that was a, that was a situation. Yeah, a, a alleged off market transaction, um, and the person had an option on it. Uh, I don't actually know an answer to your question, Jerry, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, because they're not always going to tell you, of course. I think most, by and large, most people will try and sort of talk up the value and say, oh, I got this cheap, rather than say it was not. Because, I, I, you know, I think there's a bit of a misnomer in the industry that, that surveyors and banks don't like off-market transactions for one reason or another. Yeah, I don't tend to find out, as it were, uh, yes. that, whether, whether it's on-market or off-market as a transaction. Some, sometimes I do, but I... I don't think I can actually answer your question with any okay. any degree of certainty. Well, it's, it's interesting the, the 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 methods in which those three deals that you've done came came across your desk. But with um, the off market transactions going on, I mean, my my kind of prognosis of the agent network, which we we discussed partly in our previous conversation, was about the fact that when a deal comes to market, sometimes the owner doesn't want it to be um, visible because mm. they might be um, a little bit apprehensive about customers in the building not learning about it. So they effectively, it's kind of on the market, but they just show it to other agents and people they know, as you say, that are willing to do transactions. They've got a track record and, and that's the way that they want to go. Mm. Um, but the obvious consequence of that is that it can appear a bit like a closed shop for investors on the outside looking in. So, well, I didn't even hear about that deal because it was off market. And, and I guess that's just a symptom of it. But it's yeah. just interesting to see what your feelings on how much, how many transactions actually go that route. If no one knows about it, no one knows about it, do they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, I, I possibly get to hear about one, you know, one or two more than everyone else because I, I then go and value them. Yes. So I may not have had the opportunity to punt on them, or, or, or you know, quite frankly, the, the the desire to punt on them. But nonetheless, I'll, I'll get to find out that that it has sold uh, if in, if there's some lending in place. I suspect the answer is probably more than people realise. Um, and certainly I've noticed just in the past month or two, there's been a few more receivership jobs. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Things that have been sold uh, or, you know, where people have needed to sell rather than wanted to sell. Yeah. Um, and that's starting to creep in, especially as bounce back loans are starting, you know, or, or, or certainly C-bills loans on, on for the bigger problem, you know, bigger companies especially as those loans are starting to get to be you know, needing to be starting to be repaid especially as interest rates are starting to go up and you know cost of living and that and all this sort of thing i'm just starting to see a few more of those types of properties either come on the market with via receivers or indeed you know people needing uh, need yeah needing effectively forced sales or you know or indeed revalue you know remortgages um yeah. because they need some working capital in the business in the business yeah so interestingly that's not a consequence of the asset performing poorly or changing its performance it's actually just because of the overarching factors like as you say um civil loans um the conditions maybe for their trading business and i guess and, and bearing in mind some, some of these some of these are owner occupied buildings yes. as well so they're not necessarily just in, in you know uh, investments uh yeah interesting okay so just one last thing then on the off-market stuff um is there anything that investors can do to put themselves in the way of some of these deals um as I've said before, speaking to agent, you know, speaking to agents professionally, you know, going going in, you know, arranging to meet them, um, and putting your best foot, you know, making you making yourself look attractive, yeah, um, you know, making sure that you have proof of funds, um, be that in the form of deposits and in in the in the way of um, you know, if possible, sort of you know, uh, bank bank you know, bank lending. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah just make, making yourself look attractive uh, for, because at the end of the day the, the agent wants as, as with residential agents the agent wants certainty the, and, and ultimately the vendor wants certainty but the agent certainly you know, the, the, at some point the agent's got to make a recommendation to their client yes. to say you ought to proceed with, with John rather than Derek yeah. 
you know, uh, and especially if you've got two competing bids. So I, you know, I went to look at a property the other day uh, to, with a view to buying it, um, and it was a receivership job. Yeah. And the agent explicitly said to me that the, the, the receivers aren't necessarily going to pick the highest bid. The, there's going to be a trade-off between certainty and price. Okay. Um, and if, if, if we can go, if we can make ourselves appear more certain, then they're going to go with us rather than necessarily getting an extra 10 or 15 grand that's possibly going to come in six months once you've had two down valuations and, you know, you, you've not raised the deposit sufficiently and all that sort of jazz. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. And, 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 and then this thing, this will only come with time. You know, if, if you're in, at the point of doing your first deal, this isn't going to help you an awful lot, uh, but, but completing, yep. doing the deals. Uh, you know, if, if you're known in the market, uh, you know, and you don't have to be buying like 10 properties a month, just over the course of, of time, you know, looking at properties, offering sensible, you know, offering sensible amounts on properties. And once you've had the offer accepted, completing in a timely manner, you know, pay a good solicitor who you know is going to answer the phone, who you know is going to respond to emails, who you know is going to, you know, not, don't just go for the cheapest solicitor who's going to drag things out and, and quite frankly, make you look bad uh, as, as the investor. Okay, so it's not always about the price offered. There's more to it when these bids are taken into consideration. You know, in terms of if you've gone to a closing date and you think, well, I don't know if I can offer enough, but if you present it, ideally you know what the circumstances are, of course, of the vendor, but if you can present it in such a way that you outperform potential competitors, even if the price is slightly higher that they've offered, there's still a chance. Yeah, absolutely. It's package. It's a package deal. You know, sometimes the vendor just wants absolute top dollar, no questions asked. They don't want anything else other than every last single penny out of the building. Yeah. Sometimes, like I said, that fixed charge receiver, they are obviously looking to sort of um, absolve themselves in terms of their legal responsibilities in terms of maximizing the amount for creditors. But nonetheless, they have to balance that against actually getting money in. Yeah. Because for a fixed charge receiver, they are they are personally responsible whilst it's in receivership. That that's the law. They want the certainty. Are you ready, willing, and able to complete? Yeah. Uh, in in a timely fashion. It's just case by case. Speak to the agent if doing an op- a, a subject a planning deal is a potential option, and then you you, you do it, and then you get planning, and you get, and then you complete. Happy days. If the if the vendor wants a cash offer, don't start faffing around, you know, putting up all putting forward all these weird and wonderful ideas. The vendor may need the cash for whatever reason. Okay, so I've got two things left to cover here, Ryan. Um, the first is a bit of a mash. It's kind of what 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 opportunities are you observing in the market right now? But I'm going to lead that slightly. I'm just going to ask: Are you seeing more activity in flexible space? Um, is there an increasing use of flexible contracts or a desire for flexible contracts? Or is actually that's not really popping up on the radar too much? And, you know, the, the RICS put out sort of periodic publications as to uh, average lease lengths. Yeah. Uh, and since I started as a surveyor in 2010, that has just come down and down and down and down. I can't remember off the top of my head what the latest number is. Yeah. Last time I looked, it was sub six years. Yeah. As an average, and bearing in mind that takes account of all the big, you know, massive spaces, these 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 purpose-built monolith properties where it's a 25, 30-year lease, you know. So you've got a lot of properties that are sub six years um, to to pull the average down. And and so yeah, I mean naturally that you know the, the smaller tenants again, you serviced you serviced op- office operators uh, in terms of your, your occupiers, um, you know the, the the sort of the smaller end of the industrial market where I operate. They want a, you know, they want a, a short, a shorter term lease uh, yeah. because they don't know what's going to happen. Especially if we go into a recession, they want to be able to pull out. Um, you tend to find that retail operators want a little bit of a longer lease because there's certain, there's a certain amount of capex yes, involved course, yeah. in in setting, you know, setting the up, get it, getting it ready for their particular branding and all that sort of stuff. So that they'll be happier with a th- sort of three to five year lease even the even the individuals because they think well i'm gonna i'm gonna spend 20 grand getting the shop nice again bigger the property longer the lease that's it's a very crude rule of thumb but it broadly works yeah, um, that capital expenditure yeah so is there any sort of 
opportunities you're kind of starting to observe in the market right now, or is it still a little bit sit on your hands? What's your thoughts? Something if I was having this conversation with my pals a few weeks ago, and we were saying, you know, do we just keep our powder dry? Mm-hmm. And, and some, somebody said it the other day, it might have been on a clubhouse thing, or it may have even been on Facebook that I saw it. And, you know, the, the, the phrase that was very, very prevalent in the financial crisis, cash is king. Yep, people starting to... Uh, and that phrase is starting to get battered around, you know, a, a fair amount more than I feel comfortable with. <laughs> um, cash is king. And, and so, you know, do you do something now? for the sake of feelings if you ought to. Yes. Um, but maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're buying at the top of the market. You I know? think if there's uncertainty, prices are likely to either stay the same or change direction. Mm. And the more uncertainty there is, the more that you probably can pause. But that's not to say there aren't still deals out there. Mm. no absolutely yeah at the end of the day you've got to make sure things stack you know i always i always do this with myself and i always advise clients or you know the people i'm chatting to or who are maybe a little bit newer to the commercial space than i am uh be conservative if things were if, if the numbers stack on a conservative basis i'm not talking about being stupidly conservative here you know sort of like offensive you know making offensively low offers uh but if it works on a <laughs> Uh, on a fairly conservative, you know, nice and steady. If it works on that level, then everything else is cream on the cream on the cake. Yeah, you know, everything else above. You know, if you get an extra twenty five, fifty for seventy five pound a square foot on the rent, whatever. And if you if you manage to get half, three quarters of a percent lower on the yield, then that's all. That's all good, and that's all money in your back pocket. Uh, I'd be in terms of extra income or extra equity or extra money you can pull out, depending on which bank you go with and how much skin in the game that the bank manager wants you to have and all this sort of jazz. Um, but you know, all that is just all, all fan- it's all fantastic. But if you if you're forcing yourself to do a deal and it only works at the absolute top end of the rent scales that, yep. that's like you know that's likely, and it only works at the bottom end of the yield capitalization it doesn't take much for things to go very wrong you if you do a little sensitivity analysis and drop the rent by 50p and put the yield up by a quarter of or half a percent you know things can go very wrong and you may not be able to pay investors back you may not be able to pay your bridging you know bridging finance off or you may not be able to recapitalize the out you know out of your first deal into your into your 25 year mortgage or what have you you can be in 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 hot water so let's let's after that cautionary tale, let's finish on a positive note. <laughs> so people do ask me, is it possible to do um, a burr strategy a buy, you know, re- redevelop, um, rent out and refinance on commercial property? Mm. And it certainly seems that your experience from the properties that you've dealt with, that is absolutely possible. Yes, with another cautionary note. Yeah, go. It depends which bank you go with. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned the phrase just a second ago, skin in the game. Yeah. That is a favorite phrase of, of many a bank manager. Uh, you know, some of them who are a little bit longer in the tooth um, and not fresh out of uh, university have lived through, lived through the and worked through the financial crisis. And they literally had clients or borrowers and investors coming back and saying, there you go, there's the keys there. I'm yes. in negative equity, you have the keys back. And they were like, oh, well, uh, you know well, what's happening here, sort of thing, um, and it's because the the borrower, the, the investor, didn't have any of their own personal funds tied up in the investment, yes. and so the, the first property to lose. Yeah, exactly. So the first property I mentioned, the the the, the one uh, the forty eight units, um, we had a we 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 actually didn't we we certainly didn't cash out of it. Now, fortunately, we we didn't use much of our own money uh, in doing the renovation. It was all effectively foregone rent foregone profit um we ended up at about 30 percent loan to value after we refinanced it yep. and that's because the bank said okay well we'll give you 60 percent of the purchase price plus 60 percent of your costs yes. not 60 well, percent of the value <laughs> yeah well that's that's ridiculous like we, we've got a, an asset that's worth again comfortably two million quid 
and you're offering offering us seven hundred grand. Yeah. Um, you know, how does that even compute? Um, and and so yeah, that that's that's what yeah. So we ended up doing it with that particular one, and we just accepted that we, we were on a, a ridiculously you know we, we got a a mortgage at two point two four yeah uh, percent plus plus Bank of England base rate. Um, whereas other properties, the, the second one, we were able to completely completely cash out, do a, a, a straight up buy rent rent refinance um, model. Um, again, we left about fifty grand in in that particular one in, in the one that we took back to brick. Yeah. Um, but we went with Cambridge and Counties, who are a bit more flexible, a bit more expensive on the interest rate, nonetheless. Yes. Um, but just be cautious or, or, you know, speak to your broker at length and ask really deep questions um, because a broker we were going to go with on that second property. Yeah, yeah, Lloyds will definitely do it. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll allow, you, allow you to refinance, sent all the paperwork in, came back a week later. Oh, you, you've only spent this much money. And why are you telling us it's worth 1.6 million? You've you've only you've only spent eight hundred and fifty grand. It's like, well, we know, we know that. Like, uh, you know, just as a by the way, you you ask me as a chartered surveyor to do valuations for you. Yes, like the shoes on the other foot. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that you trust me to do valuations for you. Uh, you know, all right. I know you can have it valued by someone else independently anyway. Nonetheless. But I'm telling you, this is the value of the property. Oh well, we, we can we, we can we can't really do that because you've not spent enough money. There's no it's skin mad, in the game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. no skin it's... in the game. So just again, so so I, I'm sorry I can't end on a, on, a, on a massively happy flowery note. Uh, but you know, practicality comes first, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So yeah, make sure you know who you're lending with and what their criteria are. But it is, from what you see. It is possible. It's definitely possible. De- absolutely, definitely, definitely possible. Definitely possible. And it, interesting, the way that we've done it is not by refinancing and taking a lump sum, because part of the part of the time, part of the question from the finance lender will be, well, what are you going to do with this money? Hmm. So what we've tended to do is use the extra value as leverage. We've not actually taken a we haven't done the process of let's refinance, take the money, and now go invest in something else physically. We've taken the asset and given security over it for the next purchase with security over the next purchase, which has allowed the leverage there rather than necessarily taking the actual money out, which I think some people from residential feel that's the way you do. Oh, you must get the money back, pay off your investors, and then you take the money and use it as a deposit for the next one. It doesn't mm. have to be that way in, in commercial. Yeah, that, that can be a slightly more complicated or a little bit more intricate way of doing yes. things in that if you have a, a um, either a group structure um or you have everything wrapped up in one company um and then you can sort of you can do cross collateralizations and, and debentures and what have you across various properties um and indeed if you've got a, a nice group structure going on with an umbrella company at the top you can you can cross charge between the whole lot and, and what have you probably a different conversation for a different day of course yeah and there's a um, risk associated with that yeah because uh, you're all that's, in, very, that's very much certainly possible you know yeah. if, especially if if you don't necessarily need the money straight away you know if you don't need to pay back any investors or bridging finance straight away and, and you can just sort of sit on it yeah for three or four or six months until you find your next deal and then you go and say right i now need some cash Yes. In, in whatever way, uh, I now need a bit of cash to go and buy this this new property, uh, which I'll be bringing to you as a bank anyway. You, you'll be getting the debt, don't worry. Um, but I just need a bit of cash from prop that that other property so yep. I can you know bring it forward. Yeah, that just goes to prove there are many ways of uh, doing these transactions, right? Yes, many many, many different many, ways. Many ways to skin a cat. Yeah, indeed. Right, Ryan, this has been super. Thank you so much for coming and sharing um, your industrial experience. That's been really interesting and. The CMO model you've been doing there with um, multiple units and not necessarily all with their own separate supplies and everything else and all different um, um, utilities and toilets and everything. It's been really quite interesting to see how that's worked for you. Um, I'd be quite interested to come and have a look at some of those properties. They, they sound sound really good. If you're in South Yorkshire, give me a, give me a call. I'll be happy sure. to uh, show you around. Right, Ryan. Um, we will put your details in the um, podcast notes. Anybody listening that wants to have a chat with Ryan, um, reach out. Um, Ryan will go out to the Pennines, and he will go a couple hours north and a couple hours south for anyone that, <laughs> that feels they would like to um, have a conversation with Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Brilliant. Speak to you again soon, Ryan. Thanks. Cheers, Cheers Jerry. Bye-bye.
enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.